Good Friday morning. That historic snowstorm impacting millions. It is off to an intense start. And there is a lot more to come. Hi, everybody. It's November 18th, and this is today. Here it snows, feet of it already piling up in some areas. States of emergency from Michigan to New York, businesses and schools closed, and officials urging people to stay indoors. Our biggest enemy here for the next 48 to 72 hours is a lack of common sense. Right behind the storm, bitter cold as we head toward a busy weekend of holiday travel. We've got everything you need to know. Breaking overnight, alarming escalation. North Korea fires off a new missile with enough range to reach the U.S. mainland. The Biden administration condemning the test and vowing to take all necessary measures to guarantee the safety of Americans. The very latest straight ahead. End of an era. Nancy Pelosi, the only female House Speaker in history, steps down from her leadership role. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus. This morning, who will replace her and what it means for the future of both parties on Capitol Hill. College murder mystery. New details in the killings of those four University of Idaho students. This morning with the coroner's report just revealed as the FBI joins the hunt for a suspect and an emotional new vigil is held for the victims. Those stories plus hashtag meltdown, a mass exodus from Twitter, hundreds of employees resigning, rejecting an ultimatum from Elon Musk to work hardcore or leave. Twitter offices reportedly closed overnight. Where does it go from here? And bad blood. The Taylor Swift ticket fiasco grows. Ticketmaster forced to cancel today's big sale. And Swifties are not shaking it off. I'm not getting tickets. No, tell me right now this is a joke. Today, Friday, November 18th, 2022. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Good to have you along with us. We got there. It is Friday morning and yeah. a chilly one. A snowy one in some places. We're going to start with that winter storm. Take a live look at this. This is Attica, New York. The snow is already coming down. It's coming wow. down fast. And forecasters are saying this could last four days. Some areas are bracing for, get this, up to five feet. And it's also impacting the NFL schedule as well. The league has moved this weekend's Bills game up to Detroit. Pretty remarkable because they mm -hmm. know how to deal with snow yeah. up there. The severe weather is impacting travel, of course, from coast to coast. Hundreds of flights already canceled or delayed today. And it is going to be a busy travel week, reaching pre-pandemic levels not seen in years. That's right. AAA, in fact, predicts nearly 55 million people will be on the move for Thanksgiving. We've got it all covered for you, including Dylan's full forecast. But let's get started in Buffalo. NBC's Jesse Kirsch is right there. Jesse, good morning. Savannah, good morning. What you're looking at right now is the snow's picking back up here is actually just the lull compared to some of what we saw overnight. This storm is expected to continue for 36 hours or so. And here's what we've got downtown in Buffalo already. About nine inches here, but we've seen double of that reported in some areas, including where the Bills were supposed to be playing against the Browns on Sunday. And all of this is causing a travel ban and a state of emergency to be in effect here in Buffalo. But New York is not the only state being hit by this early storm. This morning, an early taste of winter's worst has Buffalo at a complete standstill. 
Overnight, western New York hit with thunder snow. Part of an hours-long lake effect storm shutting down Buffalo Public Schools. Our biggest enemy here for the next 48 to 72 hours is a lack of common sense. Please never run a generator inside your house or inside your garage. I wasn't expecting this. This is, this is big. But by Monday, the total could be a crippling five feet. The intense storm forcing the Bills and Cleveland Browns to move their Sunday matchup out of Buffalo to Detroit. But parts of Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania are also blanketed in white, with some areas seeing almost a foot and a half of snow on the ground. What we're talking about is a, a major, major storm. This is considered an extreme event. All of this earlier than expected mess thanks to lake effect snow, which happens when moisture from the Great Lakes' relatively warm waters collides with Arctic air blasting over the Midwest and Northeast. Low visibility and rapid accumulation will make some roads and airport runways harder to reach less than a week before Thanksgiving. Be mindful of the travel advisories. Stay home if you can. Even if you don't see snow, you may not be in the clear. The northern plains and upper Midwest are expecting high temps in the 20s, with some overnight lows plummeting into single digits. And at least 20 million people are facing freeze alerts into tomorrow morning from Texas to Virginia. Back in Buffalo, the storm's bullseye, this is a weekend to stay in. You are an obstacle to our plow trucks when you're on the road. And when you get on the road and you get stuck, our plows can't get past you. Thankfully, officials say it seems that people really heeded the warnings. And what you're looking at right now is a snowstorm that could be coming from a band at least twice as big as the one back in 2014, which had people so concerned. Another thing to keep in mind, you want to be getting snow off of your roof as quickly as possible to minimize the risk of any collapse before the snow gets heavier. It's easiest to do that when it's fresh. And uh, for those who are wondering if this is snowball snow, the answer, Savannah, is yes. Back to you. <laughs> yes, it is. It landed somewhere, but we trust you there. <laughs> Jesse, thank you. All right. We're going to bring in Dylan right now. Boy, if the folks in Buffalo are saying this is a big deal, it's a real big deal. Yeah, where the Bills play, they already have yeah. more than 18 inches of snow on the wow. ground. Lake effect snow is a really, really interesting phenomenon. So you have warmer waters in the Great Lakes, and you have this wind that is Arctic and, you know, very, very cold that's crossing over those warmer lakes. So it creates uh, this lake effect snow. The warm air rises, and it develops into this snow. But I want to show you how isolating it is. So from uh, Buffalo down to Gowanda, this area right here is about 80 miles wide. So you go north into Buffalo proper, it's not snowing. You go to Erie, Pennsylvania, it's not snowing. But right in here, we're seeing snowfall rates of about three to four inches per hour. As the winds shift, those bands of snow shift as well. So while you could be, you know, driving, all of a sudden you run into these heavier bands of snow and it's whiteout conditions and impossible to see. So watch what happens as we go through tonight. We're going to see the Winds shift to more of a southwesterly direction. That should shift that snow up into the Buffalo area, and then it will continue to shift off to the north. And as the winds waver, so do those little bands of snow, those streamers of snow. So it's really in this general area off of Lake Erie, off of Lake Ontario, where we'll see an additional two feet of snow in some of those areas, putting snowfall totals somewhere around five feet. Again, mostly in and around the Buffalo area up near Watertown, north of Syracuse, where we do have to really keep an eye on this whole snow event through the weekend, Savannah. All right, Dylan, thank you. Now to that alarming missile test by North Korea overnight. It landed in Japanese waters, but experts say the missile had range to strike the entire U.S. mainland, and U.S. officials were quick to respond. NBC's Janice Mackey-Ferrer is in Beijing with the very latest on this. Janice, good morning. 
Savannah, good morning. It appears to be one of North Korea's most powerful missiles yet. An intercontinental ballistic missile, or ICBM, that flew 620 miles toward Japan at a high speed and a lofted trajectory, meaning it was fired up instead of out deliberately to avoid overflying neighboring countries. Now, officials say, judging by the flight data they're analyzing, this ICBM may have the range to strike anywhere in the United States. And that's setting off alarm bells here. After the launch, the U.S. and South Korea conducting Air Force firing drills as well. The U.S. doing a joint military drill with Japan. Leaders at the APEC summit in Thailand held an emergency meeting with Vice President Kamala Harris uh, calling the launch a brazen violation of U.N. resolutions and urging North Korea to stop, quote, unlawful and destabilizing acts. Now, President Biden also raised North Korea in his G20 meeting with China's President Xi Jinping because China, along with Russia, has until now blocked any moves to sanction North Korea at the U.N. Security Council. And just yesterday, North Korea's foreign minister had warned of fierce military responses if the U.S. continues to boost its security presence in the region. So all of this tension is building, again raising the threat of a nuclear test by Kim Jong-un. There are no diplomatic channels that are open right now. And it's seems North Korea isn't interested in talking. Savannah. All right. Janice Mackey Fair with this breaking news. Thank you. Let's turn now to the fallout from the midterms. Republicans taking back control of the House and a major shift is happening in Washington and inside the Democratic Party. Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing she will step down as the Democratic leader in the House. NBC's Ryan Nobles joins us with the latest on this. Hey, Ryan, good morning. Good morning, Ahoda. Nancy Pelosi's reign over the House Democratic Caucus was legendary. As the first female speaker, she went toe-to-toe with some of the most powerful men in the world and rarely backed down, making her a hero in her party and enemy number one for Republicans. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi passing the torch on Capitol Hill. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic Caucus that I so deeply respect. Pelosi was the first and only female Speaker of the House. When I first came to the floor at six years old, never would I have thought that someday I would go from homemaker to House Speaker. An icon to Democrats and a villain to Republicans, Pelosi was a polarizing figure who spent two decades as the House Democratic leader. And many Republicans are happy to see her go. One party Democrat rule in Washington is finished. We have fired Nancy Pelosi. She took the speaker's gavel for the first time in 2007 and in her farewell address paid homage to the presidents she worked with. I have enjoyed working with three presidents. She notably left one out. Donald Trump, who she clashed with, pointing him down during a cabinet meeting, sauntering out of the West Wing in sunglasses, and tearing up a copy of his State of the Union from the dais in the House chamber. Her move comes just weeks after her husband Paul was assaulted inside their San Francisco home, Pelosi thanking the audience for their support in the aftermath. Her exit opens the door for a new crop of leaders. Chief among them, New York's Hakeem Jeffries, who's the favorite to take over as Democratic leader. Jeffries would be the first black leader of either party in Congress and will face a Republican majority ready to take direct aim at the Biden White House. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the president of the United States. All this while Pelosi takes on an emeritus role, still serving in Congress, guiding her successors. The speaker reflecting on her historic career in 2019 with Savannah. You probably are the most powerful woman in government. 
in the United States, you know. Yes. Do you, That's true. Do you think about that as a personal accomplishment? No, I think of it as a responsibility. And House Democrats will pick their new leadership team November 30th. Now, this job will be difficult because the margins in the new Congress will be so tight, they will not be able to lose a single vote. Keeping Democrats together will be a priority. And that, of course, was Nancy Pelosi's specialty. All right. Ryan Nobles for us there in D.C. Ryan, thank you. Got breaking news this morning from Ukraine. Russian forces launched a new series of airstrikes. They're coming as the harsh Ukrainian winter sets in. And this morning, some 10 million people there are without power. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel is in Kherson for us this morning. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Savannah. Russia renewed its attacks on Ukraine's power grid just as temperatures here, like in the United States, are setting in and freezing. Russia is apparently trying to freeze Ukraine into submission and pounded infrastructure again overnight. For the last three days, Ukrainian officials say Russia has carried out some 200 missile strikes. President Zelensky this morning says 10 million people, about a quarter of the population, are without power. But that's not the only damage being done. Ukrainian troops recaptured Kherson this month, ending Russia's eight-month occupation. Alina Dovsenko is the director of the city's fine art museum. She just returned and greets her staff. She braces herself to go inside. With her are Ukrainian prosecutors. Most of the art had been in storage in the basement. That's where they focus their search. The prosecutors break through doors and find just frames. The Russians looted the museum. And here is the vault where many of the more important paintings were kept. The Russians did leave some paintings behind. In fact, they didn't seem very interested in Soviet-era artwork. Lenin didn't go with them. But over here, it's just rack after rack. All of these empty vaults, they've been full of paintings. It's all gone. Dotsenko has been the museum director for 35 years. What is it like for you to see these empty spaces? I was gathering this collection all my life, she says. She tries to keep her composure. She doesn't want to cry on camera. Do you know how many pieces were looted from here? We thought it was around 10,000, but now with what I and my staff are seeing, it looks like more, she says. Before Russia's invasion, the museum had one of the richest collections in Ukraine, with works from painters from all across Europe. What are we talking about in terms of value? Hundreds of millions of dollars, she says. Museum staff say the Russians stole the paintings just weeks before pulling out. Ukrainian partisans, working in secret under the occupation, captured this photograph that appears to show the Russians loading art onto a truck. The images were verified by museum staff. The director believes she's tracked down some of the paintings to a Russian-run museum in the city of Simferopol, and she compared the theft to the Nazis' looting of art during World War II. Savannah? Ugh, all right. Richard Engel in Ukraine for us. Thank you, Richard. It is 7.15. A lot more to get to with Craig, including, I don't know whether we should call it turmoil at Twitter or something more. Chaos. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like both. Yeah. Hold on, Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. So in a memo to staffers, Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, 
He gave an ultimatum, commit to, quote, extremely hardcore work or leave the company. This morning, it looks like hundreds of employees chose the latter. NBC Stephanie Gosk is here with that story. Steph, good morning. Hey, good morning, Craig. Musk sent that email to his remaining employees on Wednesday, telling them they had until 5 p.m. Thursday to sign on to his vision for what he calls Twitter 2.0. Now, after weeks of layoffs and resignations, the future of the popular social media platform may be hanging in the balance. This morning, the doors at Twitter are locked amid fresh turmoil and a mass employee exodus. Employees told the company's offices will be temporarily closed and badge access will be restricted through Monday, according to CNBC. On Thursday, a fresh wave of resignations rocked Twitter again after billionaire boss Musk sent an email to employees detailing his vision for Twitter 2.0. It read in part, we will need to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. The ultimatum, a 5 p.m. deadline on Thursday. Respond yes if you decide to stay. If not, Musk writes, anyone who has not done so will receive three months of severance. This kind of hardcore uh, make your decision if you're going to stay or go. Not something that Twitter people are uh, accustomed to. That email from Musk prompted hundreds of employees to step down, according to the New York Times, citing two people with knowledge of the situation. Some employees who quit tweeting the salute emoji, meant to convey the message, thank you for your service. Adding to the confusion, Musk now backtracking on his hardline remote work policy. After initially telling employees it was no longer allowed, he now says... All that is required for approval is that your manager takes responsibility for ensuring that you are making an excellent contribution. The latest wave of resignations coming after Musk already laid off thousands of staff when he officially took over the company. Melissa Engel worked as a senior data scientist at Twitter. She says she was fired just days before Musk delivered his latest ultimatum, but has co-workers who resigned yesterday. She believes Twitter's future is hanging in the balance. It just seems with, with current staff levels, it cannot. And that's just flat out cannot be saved. Musk has been tweeting overnight, posting a skull and crossbones flag, a meme seeming to show Twitter in the grave and telling his followers, quote, how do you make a small fortune in social media? Start out with a large one. A very large one. It's not clear exactly how many workers opted for the severance package, but reports put the number in the hundreds, possibly much higher. It comes after Musk already cut 50 percent of Twitter's workforce in that mass layoff when he took over the company. NBC News has reached out to Twitter on this, but we have not heard back. So we locked up the offices. That with the yep. Yeah. Does not want them in there um, Uh ostensibly because he's worried they would do something. Okay. It's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out at Twitter. Yeah. 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 A lot of people wondering if they get on their phones, if it's just going to be gone. Gone. Yeah. Right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Steph. All right. Let's get a check of Dylan's forecast. Hey, Dylan. Hey, guys. Yeah. The big story is that lake effect snowstorm uh, that we are going to see last through the weekend. But elsewhere across the country, look at this. There's not a whole lot going on. It's cold. It's windy. Temperatures running about 20 to 30 degrees below average. And all of this cold air is going to settle in behind this cold front, even down into parts of Florida and along on the Gulf Coast highs today, only in the 50s and low 60s. And that's your latest forecast. All right. Thank you, Dylan. Coming up, new clues in the mysterious murders of four Idaho college students. What a report from the coroner is now revealing as the FBI joins in on the investigation with a killer still on the loose while the very latest in a live report. And then we'll take a closer look at the Taylor Swift ticket debacle. Today's public sale now canceled. Ticketmaster under more fire than ever before. Some are calling for a Justice Department investigation. We'll have everything 
you need or want to know. But first, this is today <laughs> on NBC. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna Book Club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with Chris Pine to talk about a career that has taken him from Star Trek to Wonder Woman, and now the new film he wrote, directed, and stars in called Pool Man. You can get our conversation for free wherever you download your podcasts. Back now, 730 it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in our plaza. Check it out. The world-famous Radio City Rockettes. They're giving us a taste of the Christmas spectacular today. Tonight is the grand opening. Oh, wow. It's got to be in the 30s or 40s, and they're out <laughs> there like every year. for them. I feel like every year the Rockettes come for the preview. It's like 30 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. But they it's need like a, a sequin snowsuit or something yes. for yes. these yes. Today Show appearances, but we so appreciate yes. it. really gets us in the mm-hmm. mood. We'll get out there in a minute. Let's get to your headlines here at 7.30. Disgraced Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes will learn her fate today. A sentencing hearing is scheduled for later this morning in San Jose, California. In January, she was convicted on four counts of investor fraud and conspiracy. The prosecution is asking for a 15-year prison sentence. Prosecutors also want Holmes to pay her fraud victims $804 million in restitution. The man suspected of killing 10 black people at a Buffalo grocery store back in May plans to plead guilty to all state charges against him. That's according to an attorney representing the victim's families. 19-year-old Peyton Gindrip is scheduled to appear in court on Monday. Back in June, he was indicted on a list of charges, including domestic terrorism, motivated by hate, and 10 counts of first-degree murder. Gendron also faces federal hate crime charges connected with that shooting. Well, also this morning, new details are coming to light from the ongoing investigation into those mysterious murders. Four University of Idaho students were killed. Autopsies on the victims have now been completed. Their bodies released to their families. But the search for the killer or killers goes on. NBC's Gotti Schwartz is in Moscow for us this morning. Hey, Gotti, good morning. Hey, good morning, Hoda. There's been so much speculation about how two roommates could have been inside this home when this attack happened. So let me just show you the layout of the home. It's actually a three-story house. Uh, You've got two bedrooms on the top floor, two bedrooms in the middle, and then two bedrooms on the bottom floor. And and that's where you have the front door. On the second level, that's where you have the back door. That's where investigators have been spending a lot of their time. But so far, investigators haven't even said whether the roommates were awake when these attacks happened and have offered no explanation as to why it took up to eight hours for 911 to be called. As investigators search for a suspect and the murder weapon in the vicious killings of four college students in Moscow, Idaho, those who knew and loved them are struggling with a sudden loss. My heart is broken for all four of the victims and for their families and close friends. Partial autopsy reports for the four friends released on Thursday. The county coroner indicating the time of death was sometime after 2 a.m. It's pretty traumatic when there's um, four dead college students in um, who have been stabbed to death in one location. 
The autopsy is also showing all four victims were killed by what was described as a bigger knife. They had extensive injuries from multiple stab wounds and that the wounds varied, including different places people were stabbed and the amount of times. The coroner did not say where in the home the victims were found or whether they had defensive wounds, showing they attempted to fight back. Investigators are now working to determine whether the suspect's DNA might have been left at the scene. Well, looking to see if there are some clues that are on them, some of the suspects' blood perhaps or something under somebody's fingernails. Two other female roommates who were not being named at this time were home at the time of the attack, police say, but they were not harmed. While investigators haven't ruled out anyone, the county district attorney telling Savannah and Hoda Thursday those roommates are not under suspicion. Anybody who might have knowledge is considered persons of interest at this point. As far as suspects, uh, I don't believe so. Authorities insist this attack was targeted and isolated, but have given no hints on motive and warned that a killer is still at large, telling a frightened community to remain vigilant. And overnight, one of the fathers of the victims, Zana Carnodal, told uh, KTVK in Arizona that he thinks that the autopsy shows that his daughter fought back. She, he called her a, a tough kid. Now, we talked to the, the coroner yesterday about bruises that were found on some of the victims, uh, but they said at this point it is still too soon to tell whether those were defensive wounds or not. Back to you guys. All right. Gotti Schwartz first there. Gotti, thank you. Let's get more insight and perspective on this investigation. Casey Jordan is with us. She is a criminologist, a behavioral analyst, a professor at Western Connecticut State University and an attorney. So uh, <laughs> certainly well qualified to talk about this. But it really is a mystery, Casey, uh, what may have happened here. And police are not telling us very much. Yeah, they I, I don't want to think they're in over their heads, but we would like a lot more information by now if things were going well. And the fact that we are now Friday and this happened on Sunday and they don't have any suspect increases the chances that it could be an outlier. They keep saying that it's targeted, but we can't rule out the possibility that it could be a stranger. Yeah, I was going to say outlier. You mean stranger. Yeah. yeah. Um, they just talked about how one of the victims fought back. So you would imagine it was such a gruesome and grisly sh scene and maybe some evidence that some of them may have fought back. Did you find it odd that the roommates were there in the in the house at the time and yet, you know, no one reported it to police for hours and hours? Well, you would think that's odd. Odd, except that having taught college for 35 years, yeah. I know what 20-year-olds are like on Saturday nights. Right. They party, they sleep till noon on Sunday, and this is a large rambling house. Three stories, six bedrooms, three bathrooms. Assuming these victims were, for instance, on the first floor and the two other girls were sleeping on the third floor, and if music was playing and if mm -hmm. it's normal for partying to go on until three or four in the morning, then it wouldn't be unusual. I think that they woke up, discovered it, probably made the 911 phone call and are completely traumatized, which is why we are not hearing mm. from them at this point. When police, they were pretty quick to call it targeted mm -hmm. and isolated. What is the kind of evidence an investigator would see that would lead mm -hmm. them to that conclusion that quickly? I worry that they have tunnel vision because there was no sign of forced entry. They, they led with that. And I've got to tell you, people leave their doors unlocked sometimes in Idaho. College uh -huh. kids are notorious for forgetting to lock the door. So just because there was no sign of forced entry doesn't mean that it was someone who knew them. It's probably most likely a suspect in between. Somebody who knows of them, maybe was uh, stalking one of the girls, interested in their activity in that house, not particularly a friend or someone known to them, mm -hmm. not particularly a stranger, but most likely someone in that community who had been 
fantasizing about something like this mm. for a very long time. Mm. All right, Casey Jordan. Casey, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Craig, over to you. All right, we've got a lot more to get to on this Friday morning, including a truly remarkable story to share. A 10-year-old, a 10-year-old girl fittingly named Miracle, helping to deliver her own baby sister when their mom suddenly goes into labor at home. And wait until you hear the emergency 911 call that reveals just how calm Miracle stayed under pressure. First, though, Emily Akata is going to join us with some new frustration apparently being felt by Taylor Swift fans, huh? That's right. Swifties say they've got some bad blood with Ticketmaster after the company abruptly canceled the general sale of tickets for the Aero Store initially scheduled for today. Coming up, why the fiasco is catching the attention of lawmakers. Stay with us. We are back 742 in depth today. More rough news for a lot of Taylor Swift fans. Yeah, Tuesday's pre-sale for concert tickets crashed Ticketmaster, and now the company has suddenly canceled today's sale to the general public. So what are Swifties who've been left out to do? NBC's Emily Ikeda is here with that story. Emily, lots of angry people. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning to you all. Apparently, 52 concerts aren't enough for Taylor Swift's fans. Ticketmaster calling off today's sales following overwhelming demand. More than 2 million tickets were purchased on Tuesday, the most ever sold in a single day, but not without mishaps. The near meltdown of Ticketmaster website is catching the attention of lawmakers. Taylor Swift fans' wildest dreams cut short this morning after Ticketmaster canceled today's public sale for her first tour in nearly five years. In a tweet, the company blaming extraordinarily high demands on ticketing systems and insufficient remaining ticket inventory. I didn't think this Taylor Swift ticket situation could be any worse. The development leaving diehard fans heartbroken. No, tell me right now this is a joke. After a pre-sale rush forced many to wait for hours, only to encounter error messages that sent them to the back of the virtual line. The errors tour has become the errors tour. Despite requiring pre-registration to weed out resellers, Ticketmaster admits it was not ready for the unprecedented traffic that quadrupled its previous peak, even crashing its website. The biggest ticket platform in the world working for the biggest concert promoter in the world. And they can't handle one of the biggest artists in the world. What does that say? Ticketmaster's largest shareholder sitting down with CNBC Thursday. Despite all the challenges and the breakdowns, we did sell over 2 million tickets that day. We could have filled 900 stadiums. The fiasco has brought renewed scrutiny to the industry giant and its merger with concert promoter Live Nation more than a decade ago. Senator Richard Blumenthal tweeting, Your anti-competitive behavior has been no love story for Taylor and calling on the Department of Justice to investigate. Tennessee's attorney general also vowing to look into the meltdown. There's an incentive there for the company to, to profit twice off the sales of these tickets. And I'm not saying it happened. But we're going to make absolutely sure it didn't. In recent months, live music has roared back to life with a 37 percent increase in concert tickets compared to pre-pandemic shows. Breaking Billboard and Spotify records, few artists come close to Taylor Swift's out of this world reach. Even astronaut Scott Kelly tweeting his frustration. Swifties rise up in protest. There's no one better positioned to force this kind of change than Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has already increased tour dates once, and some fans are hoping she'll do it again after yesterday's abrupt announcement from Ticketmaster. The pop star has yet to make a public comment, but one thing is for sure, Swifties are going to have trouble 
shaking it off. Oh, uh-huh. so what yep. you did there. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Emily. Thanks. Um, all right, let's get our attention back to Dylan and the weather. Hey. Hey, good morning again, everybody. And we do have that potential for a massive snowstorm. We already have about a foot and a half of snow in and around the Great Lakes, up to five feet of snow possible when all is said and done by Sunday. Elsewhere, though, things are nice and quiet, but bitterly cold. In fact, wind chills are down below zero in a lot of areas across the northern plains. Even the west coast is pretty chilly, and the cold stretches all the way down to Florida, too. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you guys. Coming up next, we've got an update from Al. Mm -hmm. He has been under the weather. Everybody's missing him here in our studio and all around the country. So we're going to hear from him this morning right after this. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. We're back with Carson, and we have an update on our dear, dear Al Roper. Uh, everybody's yeah. been missing him and noticing he's been out for a few days. We mentioned he'd been under the weather. Well, just this morning, he shared an update on Instagram. Here's what he wrote. He said, so many of you have been thoughtfully asking where I've been. Last week, I was admitted to the hospital with a blood clot in my leg, which sent some clots into my lungs after some medical whack-a-mole. <laughs> That's a classic Al right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. He said, I'm so fortunate to be getting terrific medical care. I'm on the way to recovery. Thanks for all the well wishes and prayers. Hope to see you soon. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm. He's in good spirits. We've yeah. all talked yeah. to him. Yeah, and he's in great spirits. Yeah. And yeah. Not that you need us to tell you yeah. how incredible yeah. Al is. The first time I called him, yeah. um, he immediately says, Hey, Dilly Dill, how are the boys? So yeah. I'm like, that, I'm that's, talk about that's, my kids. Yeah. That's, that's classic, classic That is classic Al. Good yeah. We need him back. He yeah. inspires me every day because when I wake yeah. up, I see him on his treadmill in the yeah. basement. Yeah. He's walking here to work. Yeah. Exactly. Then, all right, now I got to get, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't done any exercises. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> see. It's hard to slow down right. now, but he's he's on the mend and yes. he's on the way yeah, to recovery. Good to hear. Yeah. And we will see you everybody. Soon. See you soon, Matt. I don't know if he watches this show, but if he does, we love you, Al. We miss you. We have to go across the street to wish him yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, just ahead, we're marking, can you believe it's been 40 years, the 40th anniversary of one of sports' most iconic moments. It's known as the play. Our buddy Harry Smith relives the thrills, the excitement, the chaos, and the people who are right there on the field. 